Well, good evening. If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Romans chapter 1 in just a moment. I sure appreciate a line from that prayer we just had. Our most recent blessing. Did you catch that one? You know, if we were to sing that song, count your main blessings, name them one by one, a lot of times we go backwards. We're thinking way back. Our most recent blessing. I would say mine's just right now. Looking at you all. This is a blessing. Blessing from God that we get together, we get to worship, we get to open this word, we get to look inside it and see what God wants us to do. So thankful each of you are with us this evening, glad we could be together. You know, God's avenue of getting his message across to us was through words. Words are powerful, and words have meaning, and they can be defined, they can be translated, they can be copied, they can be used in a lot of different sources. Our means of communicating best is by words. You know, you got a little child, and sometimes he's trying to tell you something, and when they're under about one year old, I say they all speak Dutch. They're, they're talking, but I don't know what they're saying. And you have a hard time with that sometimes. But God and us, we use words. Now, there's something interesting about words because some words are just difficult because they're hard to pronounce. A while back, we were overseas, and we ran across this town. This is an actual name of a town in Europe. It's got the largest name. Would you like to put that on the envelope? We actually heard someone pronounce this. She had to do it about three times for us, because every time I was like, how in the world do you say that? This baseball player had just recently retired. He had the longest name in baseball. And he had a few more letters that wouldn't fit on his shirt, you see. So some words are hard because they're hard to pronounce. Some words are hard because of what they mean. And we look at passages, for instance, Luke 15, when that prodigal came home and he announced, Father, I've sinned against you and heaven. Saying I'm sorry is hard sometimes. And so words can be difficult because of what they mean and how hard they are. And some words are difficult because of the honesty within them. We think about that passage in Luke 18 where two men went up to pray. And one man beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. How open and honest he was. And sometimes that honesty is hard to express. And so when we think about the difficulty of words, some words are difficult because of what they involve, being honest with one another. But then there are some words that are difficult because of what they mean and, and really the implication that's found with them, what all they involve. And that takes us to our study tonight in the book of Romans in chapter 1. The Apostle Paul had a desire to go to Rome, as so many of the early evangelists they would go, they'd preach the gospel and move on. Some other place they'd preach. And they'd move on and preach some other place. And they often worried about the people where they just were. How are they doing? Are they still growing in faith? Have they given it up? Has trouble taken over them? And so in Romans chapter 1, as Paul begins his wonderful letter, one of the things he says is, I really want to come and see you. Let's begin now with verse 8, read down to verse 11, and then we're going to focus in on one particular verse. Romans chapter 1, begin verse 8. First, he says, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. 
For God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers make requests. If perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you, and or they may impart some spiritual gifts to you, that you may be established. That is, verse 12, that I may be encouraged together with you, while among you each of us by one another's faith, but yours and mine. I want to see you. I long to see you. I pray that I could see you. In fact, the other translations simply say it this way. As we look at verse 10, if perhaps is how the New American Standard states this. The ESV says, if somehow I could come and be there. Philip says, somehow make it possible, he would say. And then even another translation would simply say, whatever it takes. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Being able to pray, dear Lord, whatever it takes. Now, Paul wanted to go to Rome, and he got there, and God allowed him to go there. But how he got there was not how he planned to go. And how he got there was a whatever it takes. And that's what I want us to see here. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me to the book of Acts, and we're going to follow this little journey. And you see on your map up there where the little red circle is, that's Rome. And that's where Paul wants to be. And he's over in Jerusalem as we begin this journey over in Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, excuse me, Acts chapter 21, Acts chapter 21, he's over there in Jerusalem and he wants to go to Rome. And God's going to get him there. But it's going to be a whatever it takes to get there. And what it takes to begin with is to be accused of a false rumor. And so we begin in Acts 21 and verse 17, where he says, And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And now the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And after they had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things that which God had done among them, among the Gentiles, through his ministry. Continue on here in verse 20. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. And they said, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. And they were all zealous for the Lord. And they have been told, look at verse 21. And they have been told about you, that you are teaching all the Jews among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to their customs. Now, we've heard about you, but we know that there's people saying things about you. And what they're saying, it's not very good. There was a rumor about that. Now, skip down, if you will, to verse 28. And in verse 28, there's a charge brought against Paul. Verse 28, crying out, men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against us people and the law and this place. And besides, he even brought Greeks or Gentiles into the temple and has defiled this holy place. And not only is he spreading rumors, now they're making a charge. You're not supposed to bring a Gentile into where Paul was. And you did that. And so again, this is how God is using whatever it takes to get him to Rome. Then we see in verse 30 of the same chapter, and all the city was aroused, and the people 
rushed together and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut. And what happened is a riot takes place. And then what happens after this, when we look in verse 31, it says there's an assassination attempt. And while they were seeking to kill him, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. In fact, we'll, we'll come back here in just a moment, but jump ahead to chapter 23, if you will. Acts chapter 23, look at verse 12. Again, another attempt on his life. And when it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy, bound themselves under oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they'd killed Paul. I'm not eating lunch. I'm not eating supper. Until that man is dead, I'm not eating. And then we go on and look at another example in chapter 25, if you will. Chapter 25 and verse 3. It says, requesting a concession against Paul that he might have been brought to Jerusalem at that same time, seeking an ambush to kill him on the way. Now Paul says, I want to get to Rome. Whatever it takes, get me to Rome. God says, I'm going to fulfill that. But look what's taking place. And then we see in chapter 24 that he was under house arrest for about two years. And then we see in chapter 27, this massive storm. Let's turn over there. It is interesting how many verses God devotes to the storm. And again, it, it illustrates as Paul's in this boat, headed to Rome, what a difficult journey it was. Beginning now in Acts chapter 27, we look at verse 14. It says, before very long there rushed down from them a violent wind. Verse 15, and when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. And running into the shelter of a small island called Claudia, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After they had hoisted it up and supporting the cables and the undergirding the ship and fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sistrus, they let down the the sea anchor so that they themselves would not be driven along. The next day we were being violently storm-tossed. They began to jettison the cargo. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Seeing neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us. From then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. Are you getting the picture here? I just wanted to go to Rome and see the folks. I just want to see my brethren. And God said, I'm going to get you there. But look how we're going to get there. Then jumping ahead to verse 39, same chapter. When day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a certain bay with a beach. And they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, while at the same time they're loosing the ropes of the rudders, hoisting the foresail to the wind, and they were heading for the beach. Striking a reef where two seas had met, they ran the vessel aground, and prow struck fast and remained immovable, but the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, but none of them could swim away and escape. And so again, we're, we're seeing what's taking place here. They finally meets, uh, meets land, and then in verse 28, chapter 28, verse 3, as Paul builds a fire there on that island, there's a snake, a viper comes out and bites him on the hand. Finally, he gets to Rome. And in Rome, he's under house arrest. Now, why go through all this? 
Well, my prayer was, God, send me to Rome. I want to go to Rome. Whatever it takes, God, get me to Rome. And I dare say when he prayed that prayer, he didn't think, well, someday I hope in all this I get bit by a snake. No. I hope through all of this we're in a ship that we think we're going to drown. No. I hope things are so bad that people are going to try to take my life not once, not twice, but three times. Yet, he got to Rome. And so having said that, let's talk about you and me. As we think about this. To begin with, we need to understand and appreciate that God's plan A is often not our plan A. In fact, God's plan A sometimes is not even what we want. Now, God said to Paul, Paul, I'm going to get you there, but this is the journey we're going to take. Paul may have changed your mind. But God got him there. God answered his prayer. But it was whatever it takes to get there. Secondly, as we think about this, God's answer to our prayers often is a long journey that we never saw coming. And that can be very difficult for us. And number three, it takes incredible faith to say, whatever it takes, make it possible. Now, if you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 9. And then I'm going to just lay up before you two very, very simple points of application. But before we do that, we got to talk about ourselves to begin with. And look with me in Mark chapter 9, at the end of this chapter, verses 43 through 48. Mark chapter 9, begin verse 43. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. For it's better for you to enter life crippled than having two hands go into hell into the unquenchable fire, where there the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The next verse, if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. For it's better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, cast it out. For it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes be cast into hell where there the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Notice in all three of these the idea of better. It's better to be crippled than to go to hell. It's better to be lame than to go to hell. It's better to have one eye than to go to hell. And why is illustrating through these passages, this is not the form of persecution. This is somebody doing it to himself. This is somebody realizes that I can't do it. Now, when you look at the list here, his hand, his foot, his eye, he's not talking about plucking out your hair. I'm going to pull out my hair, and we can live with that. He's talking about once you cut your hand off, it's gone. Once you cut your foot off, it's gone. Once you pull that eyeball out, you can't put it back in. It's gone. Now what he's saying in this passage is the, the dramatic and the drastic and the important point simply of doing whatever it takes to go to heaven. And that's something in our American society today we've lost. I want to go to heaven so much, period. Even if it's inconvenient, even if it's not comfortable, even if it's hard. Now, I don't think Jesus is talking about actual mutilation here. 
But replace these words with some of our words today. I can't watch TV without watching the wrong stuff. So I'm taking my TV sets down to the Goodwill. Are you serious? You're going to miss the show. It's a great show. It's better to go to heaven without a TV than to lose your soul. If you can't be on social media, Facebook, Twitter, all those things, without always going down the wrong place, get rid of them all. Are you serious? Everybody's on those. How do you survive in our times without those things? It's better not to have those things than to have them and go to hell. You see what I'm saying? Now, some of us in this audience have to have special diets, whether it's gluten-free or whether it's no salt. Now, if you were to come to our home and we were to have a meal and you were to say, now, now is this gluten-free? No, it's not gluten-free. Is this salt-free? No, sir, we got all kinds of salt in this food. Most of you, if you care about your health, are not going to eat it. Sorry, Mr. Roger, can't eat this stuff. Why? Because of my health. What about my soul? I can't go to this movie. I can't go to this show. I can't do this. Whatever it takes to go to heaven. Do you see that? And that's, that's, that's the point I think we need to see here. There should be no limitations, whether it's comfortable or not, whether it's happy or not, whether everyone agrees with it or not. I want to go to heaven so much. Nothing is going to stop that. Now, let my two points of application, real simple. Whatever it takes to save my child. A lot of us have grown children. A lot of us are concerned about our grown children. I want my child to go to heaven. Turn your Bible, if you will, if you will with me, to the book of Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, we mentioned this in our Bible class this morning. It's the story of the prodigal. And in Luke 15... You see, sometimes we're more concerned about the GPA, the MVP, than their walk with the Lord. And in Luke 15, as Jesus is answering this question, why he eats with sinners, this accusation, he tells three stories, lost sheep, lost coin, lost boys. And in Luke 15, beginning verse 14, we have this prodigal. He went out and spent everything in a severe a famine occurred in that country, he began to be in need. Now notice, dad doesn't come out there. There's no checks going out there. There's no phone calls saying, here, son, is my credit card. This will get you by. He's on his own. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine, and was longing to fill his stomach with the pods. Do you know what that is? You ever eaten a pod? It's a hard outer shell. And usually there's fruit or nuts on the inside. And you feel the shell to the pigs. It's hard to eat because it's so rough. It tastes like nothing. And it's just bad. Humans aren't supposed to eat this. The pigs were eating this. And this boy is so hungry, he wants what the pigs were eating. Let's read on here in our context as it talks about that. And it says he was longing, verse 16, to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. No one was giving anything to him. When he came to his senses, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. Dear Lord, more than a job, 
more than a house, more than grandkids, more than a happiness in their life. I want my child to go to heaven, whatever it takes. If it means spending the night with the pigs to open up his eyes, may the pigs come. Dear Lord, as much as I'd hate to say this, if it means spending the night in the local jail to open up his eyes, may he be arrested. Dear Lord, if it means he is, his license is suspended and I've got to drive him every place he needs to be because he can't drive anymore, may that be if it opens his eyes. Now the problem is a lot of us couldn't go there. Oh, I want my son to go to heaven, but I want him to have a good job. I want him to give him all kinds of grandkids, and I want him to be happy. I want him happy more than anything else. What I see in these passages is, can I say, dear Lord, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to wake that child up. Whatever it takes to get him right. Whatever it takes that's extreme, isn't it? That's what Paul was wanting when he wanted to go to Rome. I want to go to Rome so bad, Lord. Put me on the, I, Lord, I want to go to Rome so bad, I'll fly coach. No. Lord, I want to go to heaven so bad, I'll get the smallest room on the cruise ship. No. Lord, whatever it takes, period. I'm not putting any qualifiers on that. And what happened is, I was arrested. And what happened was, I was beaten. And what happened was, I was charged. What happened, I was in a shipwreck. What happened is, I was snake bit. All those things happened, but he got to Rome. Whatever it takes. Can you say that? I want my child to be saved. Whatever it takes. And I think when we get that fire in our belly, and we get that determination in our hearts. And our child comes in and says, guess what? I got this, I got this, I got this. I bought my fifth car. I got my third house. I don't really care, son. I don't care. What does it profit if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? That's what we see from this. Now, the second application. I want the kingdom to grow. I sure do. How much? Whatever it takes. And let me show you an example of this. Turn your Bible, if you will, to the book of Acts, chapter 8. Acts, chapter 8. Chapter 7 ends with the death of Stephen. Chapter 8, the fire of persecution is still going strong. Saul, verse 1, says he's in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, great persecution arose at the church of Jerusalem, that they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And when you read Paul's account in Acts 26, he was arresting men and women. When you read what he says in Timothy, I was trying to force them to blasphemy. What's that mean? I'm trying to get you to cuss God's name. I'm trying to get you with a sword to say, I don't believe in Jesus. That's how far he went. Now, in your Bible, follow the flow here, but go, go with me now to Acts chapter 11. And if you're not familiar with this, you need to mark these two places in your Bible. But look what happens in Acts chapter 11 now, and verse 19. Acts chapter 11, verse 19, says, 
So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen. That's Acts 8. So from Acts 8 to Acts 11, we've made some detours in the text. We followed this person, we followed this person. He picks the story back up. What happened after the disciples went everywhere? The apostles stayed, but all everyone else went everywhere else. They went about, he says, uh, as a result of this, and they made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one but Jews alone. And there were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also proclaiming Jesus Christ. And when you get to the book of Colossians in chapter 1, the apostle would make this grand declaration that the gospel had been preached into all the world. Colossians chapter 1, he would say in verse 23, he says, If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which is proclaimed in all creation under heaven. How did it get there? Churches had gospel meetings and sent preachers? No. The disciples, folks just like you, scattered, running. But when you got to where safety was, what did you do? Put your little light under a bushel basket as we, our kids sing about? No. You started telling other people about Jesus. And you made that your home. And you gave up this home. And they lived. And they taught. And they endured hardships. And they spoke for Jesus. They stepped out of their comfort zone for Jesus. And so when we think about, I want the kingdom to grow. I want this church to grow. Whatever it takes. It may mean speaking to that person that you have a hard time talking to. It may mean letting your light shine in all the places. So wrapping this up, this leads us with three conclusions. First conclusion is, of course, the spiritual is always far greater than the physical. That's true of our health. That's true of this world. The spiritual is far greater. Let's go look in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Where Paul makes this contrast between the physical world and the spiritual world. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and begin verse 7. For we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not Christ. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. Picking up verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Though the outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. And a lot of us know this. We're getting older. A lot of us have senior moments. A lot of us have things that we used to do we can't do anymore. A lot of us used to hop out of that bed and go 90 miles an hour. Now we've got to roll out of the bed and stop for a minute and catch our breath. A lot of us start the day with all kinds of medicines. That's life. Our outer man is decaying. But what happens on the outside is not changing the inside. Stronger, better, sharper, that's our spirit. That's what he's saying there. For momentarily, verse 17, light afflictions producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Well, we look not at things which are seen, but things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Jumping down to chapter 5, verse 8, he says in verse 7, 
For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body to be at home with the Lord. What's that mean? I'd rather be absent from the body. I'd rather die so I can be with Jesus. When I'm here, I got all the stuff of this world. Got temptation, got the devil, got problems, got everything here. If I had my choice, I'd rather die. Go through that door of death and be with Jesus. Now that's extreme. You're not going to find very many people saying that today. They're going to do everything they can to stay on this side of the world. They're going to do everything they can to stay alive. They're going to be 900 years old and still taking every medicine, having every operation, because I want to stay here. Not Paul. Not Paul. That's where I need to be. And when you have that heart, and when you have that faith, you understand it's because of the eternal greatness of the eternity. You understand it's because of what it means to God. And you understand, whatever it takes, I want to go to heaven. Second lesson we learn from this is, what does it profit if I gain the whole world and lose my soul? We want things pleasant, not difficult. We want things easy, not hard. We want things to be happy for us. But in the course of that, what if I lose my soul? So a health scare, an injury, a loss of security, if that brings me closer to Jesus, those are good things. Those are blessings in disguise. And then the third thing we need to realize is the tears and the sorrows and the fears of this life will quickly evaporate by the presence of the Lord. When we stand in his presence... And we understand that we are on the eternal side with God. None of these things matter. But what a profound, profound statement he makes there when he says, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. If it means letting somebody baptize me in front of this crowd and everyone's going to see me. Whatever it takes, I want to go to heaven. Whatever it takes, if it means I have to come forward and say, you know what, brethren, I have done some things that's just not right, and I want you to know about that. Whatever it takes, if it means calling up one of the shepherds or calling up one of the preachers and say, you know what, I'm just not where I need to be, I want to be there. Whatever it takes, can you meet me every morning at my house at 6 o'clock for a Bible study? Whatever it takes. Do you see that? And so I can imagine on the other side in eternity, Paul saying, I got bit by a snake. But maybe standing right behind, right beside him would be John the Baptist. I lost my head, literally. Maybe right beside him would be James, the apostle. I was killed with a sword. And maybe right beside him is our Lord who said, I had nails, I died on the cross. One of our hymns is, take my life, Lord, and let it be. Whatever it takes. And when you've got that in your belly, and that's really what you're thinking about, nothing will stop you. 
Friends may not agree with you. That's okay. Whatever it takes, I'm going to go to heaven. If I've got to go alone, I'll go alone. If people think, well, man, you're just becoming kind of radical here. Whatever it takes, I am going to heaven. That's the idea here. And so this evening, that's our thoughts. I love that statement. I love that I wish I could say that every day. But I know I can't. I need to get there. And I wish you could say that. That whatever it takes... I am going to be in heaven. Whatever it takes, I'm going to sit down and talk to those kids. Whatever it takes, I'm going to talk to my friends who aren't Christians. Because the most important thing is not having that pretty yard that gets you an award. It's not having your car washed all the time. The most important thing is where you are with Jesus. And so tonight, if we can help you, won't you come as we stand, as we sing.